Well, good morning, everyone. Good afternoon and good evening, depending on where you are in the world today. And welcome to another episode of The Buddhist Biohacker. Welcome to the new members of our YouTube channel. I see you, Claire and Deb. Thank you and welcome. And welcome to everybody who listens later on audio. Don't forget we're on 10 audio platforms, including iHeartRadio, Pandora, Podbean, Google Play, iTunes, all of those great places. So, and again, I'm your host, Lisa Gunshore, and we have a special guest today, and I'm really excited about today because we have with us the founder of Dry Farm Wines, Todd White. Welcome to the show, Todd. Thanks, Lisa. Excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited too. I have, I have, I have my oh, nice. lines in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was really excited to talk to you today because I think you have a really incredible story too. And we just finished this huge One Heart, One Earth global event this weekend. So we have lots of new subscribers and new people in our community to join us today, which is awesome too. So awesome. yeah, it's just a pleasure. So I want to start out with you just sharing your story, who you are and why you founded Dry Farm Wines. Well... You know, Dry Farm Wines was not really conceived as a business. It was, um, I was just trying to find a healthier way to drink wine. And, you know, and a healthier relationship with alcohol in general, as you know, we only sell lower alcohol wines. And in fact, this year, we're introducing an ultra low category that's around five and a half percent. So, you know, I like to think of alcohol, you know, as any peak state, it, I think of alcohol as a way to tap into an energy. I'm not, don't want to use it to check out. Right. And so when we talk about alcohol, because it's, it surprises a lot of people to hear, you know, the wine guy who they think is selling wine to say that alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin. Right. And so has to like all altered states has to be used cautiously. Right. And in a natural way. Alcohol is a natural thing. It's naturally occurring. Lots of things will ferment into alcohol if yeast and sugar is present. But I became ketogenic about, uh, I've been a biohacker, you know, a spiritual adventurer for many years, but started experimenting with a therapeutic ketogenic diet about six or seven years ago. And at that time, i found that I wasn't enjoying the alcohol experience. It wasn't wines were making me feel bad. And I didn't know why I thought it was oftentimes people who experiment with a, let's call it a therapeutic ketogenic diet. Cause today I'm like modified keto therapeutic is super, super deep into ketosis find that they have adverse reactions to alcohol. So I thought it was just the alcohol, but what I didn't realize was, what was really going on in wines and that my body was just becoming more sensitive to it. We're going to talk about that and the toxins that are in commercial wines and, you know, why you don't know about it and um, how the wine industry keeps these dirty, dark secrets and quite successfully. So by colluding with their friends in Washington with lobby money, <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, so I stumbled upon the natural wine revolution quite by accident. Um, in my search for a healthier way to drink. And then it became a business later when I realized that other people wanted the same thing I wanted, right? Which was a different wine experience, uh, a more spiritual wine experience. Um, and, you know, something more natural and something close to the earth and really a result of living soils and regenerative farming. And so all the things that we can talk about, but it was kind of an accident, the whole thing, but it, you know, it's worked out well. Yeah. Well, and there's a couple things you brought up a little anecdote for you about the alcohol piece is back in 2011, I was in uh, DC attending an initiation with the Dalai Lama. And he was talking about when you when you take a Buddhist initiation, your vows, and he was talking very specifically about alcohol. And, you know, do you drink? Do you not drink? Like, what's the expectation? And, and he said, um, that he wanted us to know what his teacher told him, which he said, you know, if you're going to have alcohol, have just a little. And he said, just don't lose your head. Exactly what you're talking about. You know, he's like, don't do it to become unconscious, you know, do it to 
have an experience and, and to be part of whatever you're enjoying. And I've, that's always stuck with me, um, you know, for that reason. So I love that you brought that up because I think, you know, it, there, we want to enjoy it, you know, and much like you, I, I'm a moldy for sure. So I had a huge mold crisis from being exposed to toxic black mold back in 2016, um, that impacted my nervous system. And up until that point, wine just made me sick. So I really just didn't drink it. And, and it was a bummer. I went to culinary school. Like I loved French wines and all these things. And I just can't tell you when I came across dry farm wines and my journey of trying to be clean of toxins to be able to have a glass of wine and just actually enjoy it and not have it make me sick or tired or fatigued or have nervous system issues is unbelievable. So it's really great. And I see people commenting here that um, live life spiritual direction says I tried dry farm wines for the first time in December. And I'm so grateful there's a company I can trust, um, which is exactly how I feel as well. So it's just amazing what you have been. Yeah, we, you know, we, we live. Uh, I don't know what you might know about our company, but we, as you and I are speaking, the rest of my company is in an hour long meditation now. So we begin the first day, the first hour of every day at 10 o'clock Pacific time. And it's 10, 10 now in California. Um, at 10 o'clock we meet for an hour of meditation and spiritual alignment practices from 10 to 11. And then we start creating what we call work. We start creating sometime after 11. And so I think this, you know, we live a life of intention and we drink and we source wines with intention, right? And so we, you know, are very committed to um, a way of life and very committed to a way of wine growing. These wines are not made, they're grown. The only thing in them is are grapes, right? So they're in conventional wines, the ones that were making you and I sick, there are up to 76 additives approved by the FDA for the use in winemaking. And you don't know about these 76 additives because the wine industry spent millions of dollars in lobby money in Washington, D.C., with their politician friends to keep contents labeling off of wine bottles. Mm. So the reason you don't know what's in it is because they don't want you to see what's in it. So, you know, natural wine, which is less than one tenth of 1% of all the wine made in the world. Natural wines are very rare. They're difficult to, to, well, not difficult to make. They're not very profitable. Mm -hmm. Right. And you can't make wine in very large quantities in, in these methods, primarily because they use native yeast and fermentation instead of GMO, you know, modified and altered lab grown yeast that are used in, in most all wines. And so, you know, there's the other thing about natural wine that is really very special and spiritual and, and very feels intentional. You can feel, you can taste the spirit of the wine. One, it hasn't been sterilized with sulfur dioxide, so it's still living. It has living bacteria in it. It's friendly and beneficial to the gut microbiome. But in addition to that, the important thing is, and you really get a sense of this when you go and you tour these farms and you meet these farmers or their families. Um, very often, the, the entire family works on the farm. Very often, they they don't consume anything uh, in their home that's not grown on their farm or one of their neighbor's farms. These are very, very rural locations, typically. And, and they're very often also multi-generational growers and farmers. That, you know, the young couple that's making this very low alcohol it's really not wine. We call it a botanical elixir that mm. we're releasing this summer is third generation wine growers in, uh, in Austria. But the wine, unlike all other alcoholic beverages, generally speaking, I 
there's some exceptions, but generally speaking, natural wine is this is is this this beverage that is grown by the same person, pruned, grown, cared for, living soils are nurtured um, by the same farmer who then harvests the grapes, ferments the wine using native yeast that's already on the grape, and then bottles the wine. So you've got basically one person or small group of people or family who are responsible for everything from the moment the, the vine is planted or pruned in the spring through fermentation and bottling. And you can, the French call it terroir, so it, which is from the earth, a place. And the wine has a spirit of its place and the spirit of the people who cared for it. And each wine is unique in that way. And again, because it hasn't been sterilized with sulfur dioxide, which is an additive, almost all commercial wines are sterilized. Uh, in this way that they have no bottle-to-bottle variation, they have very stable shelf life, they have um, what we call McDonaldized. It's created this kind of standard taste. They mummify it by killing it, right? Mm-hmm. And Dr. David Perlmutter, who is a New York Times bestselling author about the connection between the gut and the brain, has written about our wines several times because the living bacterias that are present in wines that haven't been sterilized, again, have these bacteria that are friendly to the gut. So, but it also gives the wine, and you know what I'm talking about because you drink the wines, it gives the wine a spirit. You can taste energy in the wine that, that's very different than, than what you have as, what you understand as commercially processed wines. See, Here's the other thing that people don't understand about the wine industry, and nobody was telling the story. I, and everything I've told you and am going to tell you is you can easily find on the internet, including the FDA-approved wine additives. You just do a search for it and take it right to the list. Most of them you can't pronounce and have no idea what they are. Some of them are natural, uh, but some are also very toxic. Problem is you don't know what you're drinking when you buy a bottle of wine unless you buy it from us. We certify what's in the wine. Uh, But what people don't understand, because the wine industry has done a good job of keeping this all secret, is that what's happened in the wine business is the same thing that's happened in our food supply. So basically in our food supply, you've got nine or ten companies that basically touch most of everything that's made, right? Mm -hmm. In the wine business you've had the same thing, massive corporate consolidation fueled by Wall Street and greed, right? Publicly traded companies have come and bought up all the wine companies. And so they don't want you to know that. So they hide behind thousands of brands and labels. But the facts are that the top three wine companies in the United States make 52% of all U.S. wines. Wow. And the top 70 companies make over, I mean, the top 30 companies make over 70% of U.S. wines. So when you go in the grocery store and you see all those wines, and wine is sold in three ways, story, label, or rating. Mm. That's how you sell wine. It's not how we sell it, but we sell it by bringing a natural spiritual product to your soul for nourishment, Mm -hmm. right? But that's how they sell it. And so they hide behind thousands of brands and labels these multi-billion dollar marketing conglomerates and own the label, they might have a cute farmhouse, right? Because they want you to believe that you're drinking this from this farmhouse. The likelihood is that you're drinking manufactured wines from massive wine factories located in Central California. Their football fields big, huge, multiple, like as far as you can see. And, And then they put different brands and labels on it, but it's basically all the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. And not to mention industrial farming and irrigation. Um, Our, even the small family business that we have, amount of wine that we sell, saves 1.6 billion gallons of water a year, right? So irrigation is another terrible thing for the planet and for the for the earth and for the quality of the fruit 
but you irrigate because it's more profitable. Less than 1% of U.S. vineyards are not irrigated. It's almost a blanket coverage of irrigation in the United States, which is one of the reasons we don't sell U.S. wines. We don't, none of the wines that we sell are made in the United States. <clears throat> so in industrial farming, of course, you've got you know, terrible toxins that have killed the soil, killed everything beneath the soil, all this micro uh, biome activity that lives beneath the soil. In fact, most natural wine farmers rarely plow their soil because as they describe it, see, when you turn the soil over, um, you expose all the, the, the life to the sun and it kills the, it kills the, it kills the, the micro life that lives below the soil because the moment it, it turns over to the sun, it's killed. Mm. So, when you go to a natural wine vineyard, I don't know if you've been to wine country in California, but basically <clears throat> you've got, for most all of them, you have a barren soil below them, right? They're like, most of them have been treated with herbicide and pesticides to keep things from growing under the vines. But when you go to a natural wine vineyard it looks like a forest i mean that you'll have very often you'll have um, things growing four five six feet tall grass and flowers and wildflowers and i mean it's just a jungle and then and and the vines are growing in that because the natural wine farmer you know is seeking biodiversity mm. and is seeking nature has balance and rhythms you, you know from your spiritual practice that that everything in nature is connected and trees talk to one another and vines talk to one another. And, and, and Mother Nature spent a couple of billion years working out this perfect ecosystem where everything can thrive when it's allowed to thrive naturally, right? And so you don't see in natural vineyards you don't you won't see any barren soil you'll see everything is growing um and also on a natural wine farm they're going to have bees and livestock and orchards and olives and um you know chickens and then just they they want they they encourage insects to come into the vineyard right by planting various wildflowers they want butterflies they want insects coming into the vineyard because that's what brings a natural a natural balance to nature's ecosystem i don't know if you've seen the movie the the biggest little farm mm -hmm. it's oh it's a terrific documentary about beautiful yeah about a california couple who restored a farm from uh conventional farming to um to the balanced biodiversity that nature provides. And it's a terrific story that goes on for some five or six years and a great documentary. If, if your listeners haven't seen it, they should watch it. It's a beautiful story about the balance in nature. Mm -hmm. It really is. And oh my God, I could just listen to you talk about the earth for hours. My God, it's just, <sighs> you know, when you talk about the farmers, how have you sourced these farmers, how do you find them when it's so, it feels so small in this huge <laughs> synthetic space? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's an ocean and there's this tiny, tiny little island out there. Um, well, in the big, now they, you know, I mean, we're the largest buyer of these wines in the world. So, so now they find us, but, but basically we know everybody, but in the beginning, in the beginning, um, these farmers were were ostracized by their neighbors for even being organic. This is, you know, a decade or two ago. Um, all the these small farming communities, these, you know, when when you travel to these farms, they're literally out in the middle of nowhere, right? There'll be hours, very often, many hours from a major city. And these small, it's, it's, a, I don't know how it is in uh, the Midwest and farming communities here because I don't have any experience traveling there, but 
But in, in these small farming villages, right, the, 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 the little towns and villages that annually they'll celebrate harvest and, uh, and, and they'll have wine fairs in the little community, you know, like where maybe 15 or 20 growers would come and show their wines to each other. And very often these natural wine farmers would be excluded from these gatherings because they were thought to be crazy mm. uh, growing organically. Now today organic is a thing and you, you think, oh, how could that be? But, but that's just in, in recent years. And in, in many appellations, it's illegal to, uh, to farm organically or naturally uh, because it doesn't meet the appellation standards for the type of wines that that appellation puts out. And so even just a few years ago, it's only been five or six years that France created a non-appellation designation called Vin de la France that said this wine is grown in France, but it doesn't meet any of the appellation rules. And so, um, so it's very complicated, but, but these, these farmers would be ostracized, you know, in their communities, but how we got, how we found, um, how we were able to source early on is that there are about 50 natural wine fairs around the world. Um, and they're very small. They'll typically be between 50 and a hundred growers there. So all the natural wine community now, they know each other, right? Because they have gotten together over the years and exchanged um, tips and exchange theories and growing techniques and soil management techniques. And, um, and they're all organic or biodynamic. And biodynamic is an advanced prescriptive form of organic farming. And so they, they all know one another and so they would get together for the same kind of reason that these small villages would get together to share each other's wine and to taste each other's wine where the natural wine growers started having their own fairs. And so we, the, the largest one, the largest single fair is in, is in the Loire Valley mm. in February in Northwestern kind of central France. Uh, where it's quite cold and and uh, and wet there, and which lends itself to growing a lower alcohol wine. Um, it's difficult to grow lower alcohol wines in very hot regions. But um, anyway, so they so there was this gigantic, you know, the largest fair. There are probably about two hundred farmers who come to this large fair, and then there's a group based out of London who were become very good friends with over the years called raw wine and raw host um, natural wine fairs in seven or eight different cities around the world. And, uh, and the founder Isabel Lejeron has written what I think is the best book on natural wine. And so we, you know, so we started going to these fairs and then, but even, even natural, we were until we became, you know, who we kind of became, even we were kind of misunderstood because we were going in and saying, Hey, we don't want any alcohol over 12 and a half percent. We wines have to be sugar free. We lab test them. Um, we, so we do all this lab tests. So people, even natural growers or in particular natural growers who are very much, you know, just kind of these activist hippies and, just, you know, farmers of the earth. And they're like, why do you care about sugar? Why do you care about alcohol? You know, my wines are balanced. They're perfect. You know, they're natural. It's like, well, we approach wine not only spiritually as they do, but we also approach wine as health food, right? And so, you know, we believe that health is the foundation of a well-lived life. And so... I love the proverb, you know, ask a sick person how many wishes they have and they only have one wish. Ask a well person, they have a thousand wishes, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so we were health and wellness enthusiasts. And, um, and so, you know, we Dry Farm Wines has a certification process and our customers are 
very often interested in not only feeling better when they drink, but also just having a holistic life experience. And drinking is part of that life experience. So, you know, we we were misunderstood in the very beginning. People were like, who are these crazy Americans? <laughs> right. And, um, you know, some people were just like, what, you know, these crazy Americans. And we would go in these wine fairs and we take these test tubes, right? And we get samples of wine and we bring them back and lab test them. And so we were only only people doing this kind of thing, right? It's just yeah. it very weird to people. And particularly like the French, you know, and, you know, and oftentimes the other thing is that very often, unfortunately, we have people on our team who speak multiple languages, but very often, more the majority of the time, these farmers don't speak very good English, right? Because it's so rural. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you go to London or Paris or Brussels or you know, Amsterdam or Berlin, any English is spoken everywhere. Right. I mean, um, um, the Parisians don't like to speak English, but they can. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but, um, but all across the world, you know, English is a, you know, standard language, but when you go out in the country, you know, they don't, they don't speak English very well. Very, very broken. I mean, they speak at best, you know, 25, 35% English. So, you know, communicating who we are in the beginning was somewhat challenging. But anyway, now, you know, everybody knows what we do and, and we've, you know, helped create, you know, a very significant marketplace in the United States for natural wines. Our biggest problem today is getting enough wine to satisfy the demand that people want it. I mean, we're to give you an example. We like to keep we like to keep forty five to sixty days sixty days of wine inventory on hand. Right now, we have fourteen days of inventory. Oh wow! Right? I mean, and part of this is pandemic related, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, because the carriers, the ships, have been significantly disrupted, and so um, yeah, so in theory, in fourteen days, we could run out of wine. Right. Wow. And we've had it a num- number of times during the pandemic because of these only also finite supply. But then getting it here has been another issue. We've had to delay shipments because um, because we can't get enough wine. Oh, and but anyway, so it's, you know, it's um, it's a, it's an interesting time that we live in. And uh, <laughs> I appreciate the work you're doing. Oh, thank you so much. You know, it's we it's going to take all of us, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it takes everyone. It is. It yeah. takes a village. I, you know, I'm encouraged in some ways by, you know, gosh, so many positive things have come from the pandemic because we've had, you know, such a dramatic reduction in pollution. We've had, um, you know, a dramatic reduction in, in, uh, and, and so many things that have been beneficial to the earth and to our life, um, other than the missing connection. But I think people have also, I think there's been a, seems to be a, a little elevation in consciousness. Um, I think people have become more conscious uh, for us because we have this meditation practice and, and most all of my folks I create with have individual meditation practices and journaling and other spiritual rituals. Um, you know, there, you know, for us, it's been, it's been a, a terrific time of, of awakening mm-hmm. and, you know, and the political environment, in the United States has changed obviously. And that's been a breath of fresh air. Uh, so, you know, I, I think, you know, for us, we, we early on, you know, this thing was so crazy in the beginning. But early on, we set an intention to come out of this better than the broken way we entered it. You know, we mm-hmm. wanted to come out more fit. We wanted to come out more awake. We wanted to, in fact, we have a, we have a um, 
we have a meeting coming up, a retreat coming up in April that, and on the agenda for the retreat is what have we learned from the pandemic? What have we learned during this time about ourselves? What have we learned about our practices? What have we learned um, about how we want to live looking forward based on these radical changes that came to us involuntarily? And there are a lot of positive learnings from that. You know, one of them was the way we travel, you know, because we were like traveling like crazy. And uh, in 2019, we were involved in 200 global events, right? So we were just like flying around all the time. And uh, we're the official wine for all these health conferences. And, um, and so when we stopped all that and we kind of got centered, you know, we got more centered in our, um, in our calmness, you know, of not having this chaotic sort of travel schedule. We were like, okay, well, we're not going to return to that, right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was yeah. just, it was a natural evolution of, you know, we wanted to touch so many people and help people. And we just said yes to everything, right? And then, and it was fun. But it, now it seems like, you know, kind of another book ago, you know, so like we can't return to that. You know, we'll still support and send love, but we can't return to this kind of chaos, right? So there, there's some very positive learnings. You know, what do we learn about spending more time with loved ones and staying at home and being in the house together and how we, you know, express our consciousness with people we're close to. So, you know, there was just a lot of things came from that. I think they were very profound and, you know, uh, you know, one one, uh, I just realized I'm going to have to grab a power cord here. Hold on one second. I'm about to no run problem. out of juice here. Oh, no, don't grab it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to grab some power. Um, you know, the quote, we, there we go. We live, you know, we're, we're, um, we live a lot through history and we live a lot through you know, all the wonderful and smart people and thoughtful and spiritual leaders that came before us. We study a lot of Stoicism and, you know, and, and, and Buddha. And we think a lot about how we should live and, you know, our favorite quote. So we all, we, we, we uh, live by a lot of quotes. Our favorite one that we apply to everything and we recite quite often is, and I'm no doubt you've heard it. It's been attributed to everybody from Buddha to Abraham Lincoln. I don't know where it came from, but it's been widely quoted, but it goes like this. It's, you know, when, when we look back on a well-lived life, there are likely to be three things that we thought were most or very important. One is how much we loved. Number two, how gently we lived. Number three, how gracefully we release the things that are not meant for us. Mm. And I think, you know, if you can apply those three pieces of wisdom to most aspects of your life, I think you have a higher, more awakened experience. Mm -hmm. That's beautifully said. And, you know, Todd, just hearing you talk, I'm, you know, the there's my spiritual brain and then there's my data analyst brain and my data analyst brain loves all the biohacking information and the the ability to have cured every issue i've had through natural means and understanding my genome is amazing but there's this spiritual work that was involved deep, deep self-inquiry. And so my passion is really bridging the two. And I can't say that I have connected with very many leaders in the biohacking community that are bringing spirituality into that as much as I'm hearing you say right now. And I'm just curious, like, you know, how did you find the path? Like how, how did it all come together for you? Was there a moment or has it just been a journey or do you have just such a beautiful connection? And then you also have, you know, 
the information too, you know, it's the two together. Hmm. You know, lifetime of suffering. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we have to make, you know, we, we, we have to find, we have to find our bearing during, you know, suffering and loss. And so for me, that was meditation and, and, um, and manifestation. So that for me, it was a path. The path was meditation and meditation came to me from suffering and loss. And so I had like this systemic business failure about six or seven years ago that, that changed my life. And, you know, we have a lifetime of suffering and failure and loss. Life is a very jagged line. It's not a straight line up or down. Um, and so I, you know, had, I've been self-employed since I was 17. And so I had quite a bit of failure along the way and some success. But uh, I had this really dramatic kind of failure in business that I took very personally uh, and really was grief stricken and uh, was actually suicidal. I mean, it was a horrible thing. And, and um, we kind of went from hero to zero. Uh, and, and it was, and I really took it quite personally. And so uh, from that, from that, that loss, I found meditation. And then that, you know, taught me to live my live a life of appreciation not expectation hmm. right and so from that then became a you know a spiritual journey of that 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 i applied to my business life that you know so from very early on at dry farm wines we were doing group meditation now there we have 80 associates and uh now we do meditation via zoom we have a meditation room in our office building. It's actually the largest room in the building. All we do is meditate in there. Mm. It seats about 50 people. Um, because of our size now, we used to close our warehouses down and they would come and meditate with us every morning, which was a pretty extraordinary thing. We just closed down production and shipping and everything. And they would come to our office building and meditate with us up until the pandemic. Since the pandemic, the size, our size of our group doesn't allow us to, doesn't practically allow us to do that anymore. Or, or we we're also not gathering in person. But when we do, there'll be uh, probably forty or fifty of us that will gather every morning in this room for meditation. But so we have a meditation, a concentrated meditation practice, and then that's followed by a sharing of gratitude from each person. So each person goes around in what we call the circle of love and expresses what they're gratitude, what they're grateful for that day. And, um, then there'll also be a lesson or a quote, or, you know, we'll draw upon writings of a historical figure. And so there'll be a lesson that will last five minutes or so every morning. So, you know, we keep consciousness and we keep thoughtfulness um, at the forefront of our daily practice. And this really bonds people together in a way that makes them emotionally available. We all just want to be seen. Right. <laughs> and so we're, you know, we spend most of our life uh, trying not to be seen. Although what's really what we want is to be loved and to love and to be loved and to love is to be seen and to be emotionally available and to be able to operate on radical transparency, right? So um, if you can do that in a business setting, it's a little tricky, right? But I think we do as good as, as can be done to have these practices inside of, inside of a, inside of a capital, you know, inside of a capitalist environment. And it works quite well for us. I mean, I, you could ask anyone um, in the organization and they would tell you that meditation is the cause of our abundance and our prosperity. 
So we have we have a document that we use to onboard and to guide decisions that are made at the company and to guide people on how to think about um, what the circle of life should look like. So, you know, on one hand, you, you, when people talk about life-work balance, in life-work balance, it's a scale, right? So one is always tipping at the expense of the other, right? So we view work life as a circle, right? And so on one side, you have work, and on the other side of the circle, you have life. And then in between, we believe that you should do something that you love with the purpose that you believe in with people that you love, right? And so these, and we have this document that explains the circle of life and what we call our nine codes of peace, performance, and prosperity. So we believe that at the base of all performance and prosperity, there must be peace. And if something is not peaceful, it's creating resistance to the abundance that is your birthright. And, you know, and so when there's drama or any interruption in the, the, the circle of peace, then, you know, then we need to make a change that will restore peace because peace is at the foundation of all joyful living. And, you know, I tell people peace is the single most important thing to me. I don't care about making money if it's not peaceful. You know, I don't, I don't, everything has to come from a foundation of peace, which is why in our manifesto, peace is the very first of the three P titles, right? Peace must always be present. Performance must be present. If we're going to, if we're going to impact the world and if we're going to spread positivity and if we're going to spread love in the way that we want to spread it, we must be high performance or we won't get noticed, right? We won't be able to do what we seek to do. And then the result of that should be a shared prosperity, right? Where the all boats are being lifted by high tide, which is why as an example, our warehouse workers make $30 an hour, mm. right? That's twice the national average. It's twice what Amazon pays, right? And, the reason we do that is because, you know, and they also, our warehouse workers down to the, to the lowest person on that poll also has the same fully paid health insurance that I have. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we pay a hundred percent of that for everyone, because I believe that healthcare is a human right, not a privilege. And so this it's these you know, we, we care about other humans and we surround ourselves with other humans who share our ethos. And if you, as an example, like we're always hiring, I think we have like 15 or 20 positions open right now, but if you go to dryfarmwines.com forward slash family, you'll find all of our open positions. And if you open one of those positions, you'll find an 11 page job description. But the thing is the job description itself is, is about one page. The other 10 pages are our, how we view life, right? They're, they're the, they're this, the ethos of what we believe. It describes our meditation practice. It describes our beliefs that are, you know, quite spiritual. And if you're not aligned with those beliefs, then you know, there's no reason to, it's really important for applicants to understand who we are, mm-hmm. right? So that they can self-select out if they're not, if they don't align with what what, are, what our beliefs are, right? Because first of all, they would never be hired because we would get to the bottom of that, right? But so all, all great applicants also, you know, they oftentimes describe, you know, it's like, gosh, when I read this, it was like the universe was speaking to me. You know, like, I believe what you believe. Yeah. And then the law of attraction, of course, manifests these people to find us. Right. And so it's, we have three new people starting today. And uh, so I don't know. We're down that wormhole of 
kind of business and spirituality. But I love it though. I mean, it's I I was in fashion for 22 years. And um, so I did the brutal work of managing stores and managers and all those things. And um, it got really hard when you have spiritual beliefs and gifts and things that you know and feel um, about yourself and your teams. And it doesn't align with, you know, a corporate structure, you know, and ultimately I'm not there anymore. I'm doing my thing for myself nowadays, but, um, you know, it's, there's a lot of value in managing a company through the lens of spirituality. And like you said, being seen, I mean, we talked about that all weekend this weekend, you know, it's important for each of us to be seen. And there's a lot of that being taken away in a lot of the mainstream spaces. So, um, it's a gift to have, for you to have created a container for that. And it filters through, you know, really, I believe even into the wine that we drink that comes from dry farm, because like you said, there is an energy. It's like, oh, I can actually enjoy this. It feels safe to enjoy it, but it also feels like it's okay. And it aligns with my spirituality too, which there's a lot of value in that. Um, What's next for you? What's next for you? And what's next for Dry Farm? Like, where are you headed in this? You know, everyone says we're going to get back to normal. And I think we're all in agreement. There is, was no normal before. And there's no going back to that now. We're all going forward. So what does that look like for you? Our journey is, um, we're, we're, you know, our journey is really, uh, I think this year and next year will be defined by these lower, what we call ultra low alcohol. It's, we call it a bolixer, but it's a botanical elixir. It's the essence of wine and the power of plants in a very low alcohol uh, elixir kind of potion. It's really, it's a wine like product that tastes a little bit like wine, but, but that's really our focus. We, um we believe that that as people have access to most people certainly our closest followers is they have access to lower alcohol experiences that um that they'll just tap in at a deeper level and so that's really our focus is lowering alcohol mm-hmm. i know that sounds counterintuitive to the business that I'm in, but, (laughs) but, uh, but we've also been, we've always been lower alcohol advocates. And, uh, and now we have created a product that doesn't exist today because we want to give people the option to have access to an ultra low alcohol botanical experience. And uh, that's, so that's really, you know, from you know from an organization because of our size now you know our experiment which is what we call this spiritual journey that is our business practices we call it this experiment because we're constantly trying to figure out how to do it better um and how to make it how to adapt it you know i mean is is you know, as as Darwin noted, I mean, it's not it's not the most intelligent or the strongest of species who survive. It's the most adaptable. And so we're constantly tinkering and experimenting with how to make our impact in the world more adaptable to our way of life. Um, so because we're we're getting becoming larger, and meaning that our impact can be larger and wider, you know, and we're, but that also becomes more complex, right? So from a management point of view, you're managing a performance organization and wrapped up in a spiritual container, you know, there are challenges with that. And so, you know, how do we, how do we keep true to our, 
um, how do we keep truth to our principles in, um, as we become larger and, and it's just tricky. It's tricky. So, you know, because when it's just a handful, when you're 10 people or even 20 more, even 30, um, you know, it's, it's very, very close. And particularly when you're growing an organization and growing, you know, growing a business, I mean, it's, it's very close, but then when you get a hundred people and now you have departments and you have like performance standards and you have, you know, but you want to have values like friends and family first. And we believe that love cures everything. And well, you know, what, what happens when you have someone, when you have a hundred people, you have people who have life changes and those life changes are no longer in alignment with, with our mission. Right. But then how do you manage through that with love first? And that, you know, those are difficult. These can be difficult situations. Fortunately, we don't haven't had this happen, but a couple of times, but every time it has happened, it, you know, it, it's, it has a meaningful, you know, a, a very meaningful consideration to the experiment. It's like, whoa, wait a second. Okay. You know, if we believe in unconditional love, then, you know, at what point does, does the, at what point is there misalignment here between the values? Right. So it, it, it is. Com- so for us, you know, like we don't have any real rules, Right. So we have unlimited paid time off. We have unlimited expense policy. We have um, we, we don't have any really hierarchy or, or kind of management structure in the way that, you know, most companies operate on the basis of fear. Right. If you don't do mm-hmm. this, then this is the outcome. Mm-hmm. Right. And we operate on the basis of love. And so that's a very that's a very different sort of that's really highly dependent. The only way that works is that the people that you hire must be aligned with their sense of honor and self-directed responsibility. Right. I mean, they have what we, when we have unlimited expense policy as an example, or unlimited paid time off the, you know, what our, real charge is to teach people how to make good judgments. Right. So, and particularly when you're working with young people, you know, it's like, and so we ask them on expenses to ask yourself three questions. Number one is submitting this expense. Does it honor who I am? Does it say this, that, that does it say this is, this is honoring who I am. This is soulful. And I think this is the right thing to do. Number two, if it, the expense were to see the light of public scrutiny, would your peers also believe that it was the right thing to do? And number three, is it respectful of the organization? And if you can answer those three questions, then you probably are in a good place to submit that expense. Right. And so, so that particularly for young people, we, we spend a lot of time teaching them how to make good judgments and you know, integrity is what you do when no one's looking. Yeah. And you know, we live in a world that's very unconscious. And so, you know, when we want to be great partners for it, which is one of the reasons that we're have been able to be very successful with some seven, 800 family farms around the world you know, because they know who we are. We always do the right thing. Always. Even if it costs us money, right? We do the right thing. And that, mm. you know, we believe that that adds up. It's just like a deposit. You know, you're making a deposit into that good karma bank, right? Yeah. Sometimes you have to take a deposit out, right? But, yep. but so, you know, we try to make those deposits. Oh, we don't try. We make these deposits like all the time. And, you know, we, 
have a reputation around the world with, with inside this community of, you know, of doing the right thing and being the right people and always honoring our commitments. And that's a rare thing in today's world, unfortunately. (laughs) But if you're willing to live like that and manage your business like that, fortunately the outcome is very favorable because you're rare. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, you know, we deal with farms that these people live, you know, literally like, you know, on the land, you know, that, I mean, this getting paid on time or faster is a big deal, right? I mean, it has a significant impact on the quality of their life. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are not like super successful people. These are like farms that are living on the land and living kind of vintage to vintage. So, um, yeah. So anyway, that's, so we're just in this experiment. It seems to be working so far, but trying to figure that out as you get bigger, I think is the, is because largeness brings complexity. The complexity creates a need for rules. And so if you don't have, if you're not teaching people how to think critically and how to make good judgments based on your values, then you have to have a bunch of rules. And uh, I don't like rules, right? <laughs> I've just never been much of a rule guy. You know, I kind of like to live my life just exactly the way I want to live it. And fortunately, I've been able to find 100 or so other people want to live that same way too. So that's sort of, I'm not sure what the question was. Oh, it's okay. You know, we need more more of you in the world, I feel. And I hope that you come back onto the show because I feel like we've just scratched the surface of some of the things that we could talk about. I mean, you're really just an incredible energy. I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing with us. And um, so many things you brought up are so much of what means so much to our community here. So I really thank you so much. My pleasure. I appreciate you having me on today. I know we didn't talk much about wine, but, (laughs) but uh, yeah, but if you are going to drink, drink natural wine. Yeah. If you buy it from us or not, it doesn't matter. Try to find natural wine in your life. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about Buddhist biohackers, we sort of are in this little sacred space in here and we go wherever we're meant to go. So um, I'm grateful for all the things you shared. And yes, for everybody out there, I do have it coming across the screen, but I am an affiliate partner with Dry Farm Wines because I do believe in it so much. Um, so again, if you're not in the Ajatakasha community app, please join. Um, for those of you who are new to the channel from the weekend, um, I did create our own social media app free of algorithms, spammy content, um, tracking, tracing. It's all not in there. Um, it's dedicated to nonviolence and it's a spiritual community. And we have over 450 people in there after this weekend. And it's just beautiful. So when you are in the app, go to the menu bar, click shop and support, and then click partners. And the link through is right there for dry farm wine so that you can get yourself on board. I have been drinking dry farm for two years now. And um, I don't drink very often. Same as you're talking about. I'm excited about the low alcohol because, again, my genome, my liver is my um, Achilles heel. My liver is my journey to wellness. I'll say it that way. And so I don't drink that often. But when I do, I drink Dry Farm. And it's it's perfect in every way, in my opinion. And it, it's amazing to not have any health effects when you're drinking something like a glass of wine. So it's just really changed my quality of life. So um, so that is where you can find it. You can also find it at lisamgunshore.com at the partners page as well. But um, thank you so much, Todd. Please come back. I want to have you back for sure. And thank you for everything you're doing for the planet and for your people and for all of us as well. Thank you. Much love to everyone who's listening. And thanks for having me today. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone.